We're putting up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay. Produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers, united we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our... Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pores to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our as labour is a name to make a man feel proud. And it's uh, welcome to the Concrete Gang, and this is episode one of series four. And those who have enjoyed series two and the little sojourn over to Western Australia for series three will be reassured that we're back in Melbourne and today we are talking with the redoubtable, the irrepressible, Paddy Hannapy. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Good. You're allowed to say more than good. You can say whatever you like. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Paddy. And Paddy is, to my mind, one of the uh, names that I always remember about our industry over the last generation and a half. And uh, we should get Patrick's story, and uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good story, but where did it actually start, Paddy? Where did you first get into building and construction? I got, got it in Dublin. In Dublin. Dublin. My, my father was a bricklayer. My brothers were bricklayers. And I was a bricklayer for a few weeks. Uh, is that because you weren't good at it or because you didn't like it? I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it the way the bricklayers treated the labourers. Righto. And that yeah. night when I went home, I told my mother I'm not going back again. And that was the end of that, the bricklaying. Uh, what did your father have to say about that? Well, it was up to me. It was up to you. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Now, I was just gone 16, and my mother was going into hospital to have a baby. And I had me bags packed to go to England, because I had two brothers in England, in Birmingham. So I left that night. She told me, no, you can't go because the trains are on strike from Liverpool to, to, to Birmingham. But I got on the boat that night and I got to Liverpool. I spent the night on the station and the next day the trains came back. So I finished up in Birmingham. So you slept the night on Lime Street Station, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was cold. 
and I had a small little bag, case, small case, and the case was clothes were belt, a small belt. So when I got to Birmingham, I couldn't find me me brothers, and I was walking around the bullring in Birmingham, and the coppers picked me up. They asked me where was I going, and I told them I was going to look for me brothers. They were living off the Mosley Road in Birmingham. They said, you can't leave from here. You're too young to be away from home. So they put me into the routing house and they told me to be there the next morning at six and get me onto the train back to Liverpool and then on the boat. But I was too cute for them. I had a bed that night. So... (laughs) I got up at five o'clock that morning, I took my little bag and sneaked out and asked a chap, where can I get to Moldley Road? And he told me. He said you could walk to it. And I had only a half a crown in my pocket and I didn't want to spend it until I started getting hungry. So I couldn't find them and I got to... Up of Mosley Road, and there was a church. And I went into the church and had a sleep. And when I woke up, I could hear a voice saying, I'll leave him there, he must be tired. Because there was a lot of people on the streets them days. So what year was that, do you think? That was 1957. 1957, right. So it's after the war? No. No, what year was I'd say it was about 53. Right, so it's early 50s. Early 50s. Yep. And I slept in the, in the church. church. Yeah. And then I woke up and I left and I went back onto the Mosley Road and I'd headed back down and I went into a cafe and there was a few Irish blokes there. One chap, he was a friend of the family. And he brought me home to where he lives. And he got me fixed up for a job in a factory that made springs for beds. And this, and and this, my and hands, this, and this was a better job than uh, uh, lying bricks, was it? it? <laughs> I had a... Uh, these things were sticking into me hand. I, my hands were ripped open from handling the springs. Yeah. But I only lasted a week there. Yep. Then I got a job down in Sparkbrook in a fact, other factory. And that was a nice job because all I was doing is sitting at a machine. But I didn't spend too long in there. After a while, I was back in the cafe having a cup of tea and two of my brothers walked in. And they said, where have you been? We heard you were over here, but where have you been hiding? I was looking after myself, and then they fixed me up with a job on the building. Right, so what what were you doing in, in terms of the work, and where? what sort of building was it? It was doing roads. Doing roads? Yeah, they were doing roads in uh, Lucas's car, Lucas's where they made uh, the batteries in Spark Hill. Right, so and you were on the asphalt, the black stuff. Yeah, and I was in there putting, uh, give them a hand, Sometimes on the machine, yeah. and sometimes using a shovel. 
So from there on, I worked myself onto the building. One of my brothers was working on Snow Hill Station, and he got me a job there as a labourer. So it was a power station, was it? No, no, it oh, was a, a trail station. Oh, right. Yeah, Snow Hill. And uh, I worked there for a few months. I got myself some clothes, and then I said to him, I'm going home on holidays <laughs> to show off. So I went home with me nice suit, and then I left there. I spent about four weeks at home, and then a friend of mine and his father was going back to Southampton. So I went with them to Southampton, and we were he we were doing working for Pirelli's, doing the new factory. And uh, I spent about a year there, and I learned a bit of scaffolding, a bit of rigging. And then after that, I, I headed for London. And then Eve and I got married, had a baby, and I got a job in a, with these blokes putting up steel, steel erecting. And they got me into the, into the union. Yep. And uh, I carried on scaffolding and steel erecting. And after the while, I travelled all over the, um, the country. I worked for McQueenie and Smallman for nearly 15 years. I've done towers, done high-rise buildings and uh, factories and came back to Birmingham and put an extension onto the New Street Station. I worked in Bla- the Black Country, Hollyhead Road. We've put up the towers for the soccer ground. And I travelled all over with McQueenie and Smallman. I worked for them for oh, nearly 12, 12 years. Mm. And then Eva wanted to go to Australia because I was doing too much travelling. So McQueen said, McQueenie had one job in Switzerland. So I went out to Switzerland and I was out there for six weeks. I came back from Switzerland and... He said to me, "You're going. You're going out. To, you're going out to Australia. You got everything done. We're going to be sending near home." And he sent me to Belfast. Yeah. And I was in Belfast. We were doing a factory, new factory for the for the potato factories. And I left there, went back down to Dublin, and even now he got ready. And to head over to Australia, and that was in 1968. 1968. So you've had a fair old time in the industry. Oh yeah. And so with the uh, the work, what was it like in England in oh, terms of the work? England, England was good. You know what? The steel game was good because they set you on the ground. You didn't try. You didn't climb. You didn't climb until. You were shown how to climb. Because remember, a lot of the jobs you put up, there was no ladders. You had to chin the columns. Yep. You know? And that was hard to do. And slide down the columns. And uh, after about a year or six months, I was climbing. I was doing all the towers with them. I was doing all the high stuff with them. Yep. The biggest job we had done was in Harringay in London. Lindsay's factory where they made the little small cars, Lindsay's cars. Mm. Kids yeah. used to go mad for them. And that was one big factory there that we'd done a bit of climbing. So you would have climbed the column? 
chewing to column, chin to columns, yeah. Using your, your feet and your knees. And yeah, in between. In between. Yeah. yeah. And then when you come down, you come down on the web. Yeah. You just slide down on the web. But you would have walked the steel? Oh, I walked the steel. When I come out here, Gus Gusmuro had me walking the steel on the on the new market on Footscray Road. I used to take the white part and the bloke that was with me, he used to take the tin part. Well, he nearly knocked me off one day. And well, we'll come to that, but in terms of walking the steel, what, what width were you walking? Oh, what, was width, what was the width of...? Well, it, the trusses was, the trusses was only three, three inches wide when you were walking the, the steel. But then you got some beams. You know, it, it, the marker was heavy stuff and light stuff. And then we used to have to walk the, the purlins. So that was on the trusses, which was yeah. the narrowest part of the yeah. operation, yeah. And then we put the steel up and the board the works in Spencer Street. Well, we'll get to that. Where First of all, you arrived in Melbourne, 1968. 68. Yeah, 1968. Right. Now, and 68, Melbourne was, well, it wasn't exactly an international city, but it was, it was going okay. There was work. Yeah. So where did you camp when you first got Oh, here? Fisherman's Bend. So we had to go to Bonagilla. Oh, so hang on. We went to Bonagilla for it. They made you go for a bushwalk, did they? No, yeah. Go because me and Denise were aliens. Yeah. They sent, they sent us to Bonagilla. Yeah. And uh, why did you send us to Bonagilla? Eva... And the children, they were aliens. The only one of them. The you know, English, like them. My, I had a British passport. How did you get that? I got that because I was born in 1930. I, I was a subject. Oh, right. See? So you were born while well, it was still uh, the free state before it was a republic. Yeah. Yeah. How I got that was when McQueenie and Smallman asked me, would I go to Switzerland? Yeah. Have I got a well, McQueenie and Smallman asked me to go to Switzerland. You had to have a passport. Right. You had to have a passport. And they said for them to get a passport in Dublin, it might take three months. Yeah. We can get one here today and send you out next week. Or they says, because you were born in 1939 yeah. and you were a British subject. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Well, get me a British passport. So they got one. So you, brought, so you brought all these aliens into the country yeah. with you. Yeah, but before I went to Switzerland, yeah. before I went to Switzerland, I went to Belfast. Now, I went with three chaps, Cockneys, right? They were British. Yeah. When I went with them, I had to get a, a what you call it, from the government. I was an alien going to... Fortnite. I'm not going to Belfast. And, you know, I fought in my own country. And that's how, I, that's how I finished up with a British passport coming right. out here. So you've arrived here. They've sent you up to uh, Bonagilla, which is up near Albury. And you, that would have been a, quite, a, a, shall we say, an interesting start to your uh, visit to Australia. Yeah. But obviously you decided you liked it and you kept going. Yeah, for we were there for a few weeks, but the thing was, they were all 
Yugoslavs, Croatians, and none of them could speak English, and we yeah. were the only ones. And we thought, well, are we in Australia? And So anyway, they sent you down to Fisherman's Bend, down to the migrant centre down there. Well, they wanted me to go, to the, the, the people said, oh, we'll send you to Newcastle. <laughs> That's where they make the steel. I says, yeah. well, I don't make the steel, I put it up. So they finally found out I had a, a British passport, and they got me out of there quick because they were in trouble, you know. So they got me on a coach, Eva and the children, and we landed in Fisherman's Bend. So Fisherman's Bend in those days, there was... Oh, it was rough. Fact- it was rough. There were some factories. There was oh, wars yeah. everywhere. There was plenty of work. Plenty of work, but it was, it was uh, not exactly a salubrious suburb, if I remember correctly. No, no. You couldn't get anywhere. And then I got a few balls together and I bought an old Hillman Minx. No, no, a Hillman. A Hillman, yeah. Yeah, a Hillman. Good British car. Yeah. Match your passport. And every time, every every Saturday, it was jacked up and the rocks, the stones was put underneath where the brake linings were changed every week. <laughs> Gus Moore used to do it for me. So you've hit Melbourne. It's 1968. Um, probably economically fairly comfortable at that time. I don't think there was yeah, well, we did inflation. Wages were reasonable. Yeah, well, we didn't stay long on the hostel. We got a, a flat in um, in uh, Corrigate Road. and uh, in, in, in Kensington? The, no, Corrigate Road oh, in Williamstown. Oh, in Williamstown. Williamstown. Right. Yeah. And uh, we were there for about a year. And then... We got a place in, we got a letter that there was a flat in Kensington for us. So we moved to Kensington. Right. Now, after you arrived in Melbourne, what was your first job? My first job was uh, the man from Mars. Men from Mars. Yeah. All right. I got a job putting up steel down on the docks. Right. But that was only for a few days. Yeah. And then I went into... The board of works, and not the board of works. I went on to the job and on Footscray Road. So that the, the, the markets, the market. Because I met some of the lads said you'll get a job there. So I went in to see Gus Moore, and Gus Moore said, "Yeah, start the next day." Gus Moore is uh, another person well known by older people in the uh, industry as a uh, foreman rigger and a bloke who. Biggest probably claim to fame is that he was in charge of the steel which was used to erect the ICI building at number one Nicholson Street in East Melbourne. Yeah. And that was the first official skyscraper in Melbourne. I mean, I think the spire on uh, St. Patrick's Church was probably just as high, but in terms of a building, it was the first building to uh, exceed what had been the limit on buildings in that city for in our city, for, yeah. I suppose for hundred years. Yeah. So Gus obviously uh, was a good rig and foreman because the next biggest uh, steel job uh, would have been the markets. They were huge sheds, and the steel there was uh, well pretty high. Yeah. How high do you reckon it was on the market? How far were you off the ground when oh, you were on top? In fifty foot or more. Yeah. You know, because there were big trusses. Yeah. 
very heavy trusses. And, and, all, and all welded too, weren't they? Well, in the centre, they came together and we had to have a big, it was like a, a, a it was brown steel. Yeah. You had to get it through this hole. And the weight of it, the hole, was yeah. very heavy, you know. Them days, they, they only had, they only had uh, 25, 50 tonners, you know, and you had to use the two cranes, you know. So it was both, the trusses were welded, but they had to be yeah. connected at the join in the centre. Yeah. Now, in terms of the steel, were you working in a gang? Oh, well, obviously you're working in a gang, but how big a gang were you working uh, in was, and how many gangs were there? There was only, there was two gangs. We just say... Yeah, the dogs following us, bolting up. Um, so two cranes, two yeah. operators, two yeah. gangs. And you had uh, two people fixing, two people walking on the ground with the cranes and two people bolting up. How much steel went up in those sheds, do you reckon? How many tonnes? Oh, I'd say, I'd say about, about 20 tonnes each, each, each um, half uh, thrust. Yeah, they were fairly heavy, you know. Yeah, so that well they had to had to spread a, an awful long way. Yeah, uh, and not sag in the middle, I guess. Oh, uh, that's what the weight was about. Yeah, uh, were those trusses similar to what you would have worked on in England? Uh, England, no, different. If yeah. they be they be small, they be bigger. Yeah. They were bigger. Yeah, because you had to have the wide space for the trucks to go in. Yeah. To unload and uh, the forklifts. So, how long did you stay on Footscray Markets? I must have been about a year, year and a few months. Good um, money? Yeah, it was good money, yeah. Maybe a bit of work. overtime? Well, because if they didn't have any overtime there, because you used to send me, the ball the works was just starting. Yep. And I used to go there maybe on a Saturday. And the border works, we're talking about Spencer Street, That's just opposite correct. the station. Yeah. A building we'll come back to in due course. Yeah. So the next big job you went on to after the markets? After the markets, I went to the Westgate Bridge. You went to Westgate. So we're, yeah. we're getting down to something which is, well, it's still a big part of your life. Yeah. Uh, good and bad, um, and we've spoken to Pat Preston, who you worked with on the bridge, and uh, we've just gone past the 50th anniversary of the collapse, and this is never a pleasant subject, but uh, in terms of the day you arrived at the Westgate, what was your impression of the job? What were you there to do? <clears throat> How was it organised? What did you think? Well, we were building, the, they were ready to start building this truss. The truss was the, the one that lifted the concrete columns. And what we were doing, the, the foreman and the leading, the, the leading hand, they brought me into the office with two other chaps and they showed us what they're going to do. So you had another firm that was on the left-hand side they were doing all the welding of the truss, making it up, bringing it over to us, and we were erecting it. And after that, you put the concrete, the concrete column, or the concrete segments, um, the 
The precast. The precast. Which was being made up on the eastern side of the river yeah. at Fisherman's Bend. Yeah. And we erected our side. So those precast sections, how many uh, tonne do you reckon they weigh? Oh, several about 25, 30 tonne. Yeah. So some of the ones, the centre ones, were heavier because they carried all the stressing wire. Yeah. So they had a, an extra block. So they were they were heavier. So they were brought over on the barge. Yeah. And then you basically lifted them onto the western side of the river. Yeah. And yeah. how did you do that? Well, when they come over, they had Clark's cranes there. Yeah. And they lifted them up and landed them onto concrete pads that Desi Duffy, he walked on them. Well, and he walked over the... The infamous walked, Des Duffy. Yeah, he was working for Pat Podker, and they done all them. And Floyd Podgore is another name that uh, reverberates uh, over the years in the construction industry in Melbourne, but we yeah. won't deal with all of that today. Yeah. So we've landed the, uh, the precast sections onto the pads. What next? Now, what we did... We lifted them up. We landed them onto the truss when the truss was built. Yep. And the truss had this two rails, like trains. So we landed them on there, and we had a platform made from one side to the other, and we had these jacks. These jacks had wheels. Yep. We landed them on that, and then we moved them along with the plunger. That was the plunger that they had on top, and they moved them from one section to the other. So really, this is a, like a big gantry crane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what was its total capacity? Oh, it was just built up as a flat, hmm. two beams, bracing these sides, George set in the back, and the, just plunger. Yeah. But in, terms of the capa- comes out. but in terms of the capacity, what could it lift? Or couldn't it anything? It just pushed. It all about 25 tonnes. So they didn't do two sections at a, at a time. They just did the one section. One section. And then that was bolted up to the previous section? That was stressed. And stressed, yes. Yeah. So all the stressing's internal. Yeah. And it, it's bolted back to the face of the previous. Yeah, because right. yeah. so you, you had a section on the column and that had all the, that had all the sections for the wires to go through and then you put the jacks on the front of it and jacked them and you <laughs> tighten them up. Now, what were you doing in this process? What was your particular job? Well, my job was to you, he had, a, he had slings. Yep. that came down to the ground. And on the segment, we had two big holes, and they just went between the, the two big holes inside, one man on one side, another man on another side, and we pushed the big plunger in, two yep. big plungers, and they lifted them up. And they were attached to the slings. Yeah. yeah. Would have been... they brought them up onto the rails. And then they landed them. them on the rails where the skates were, and he moves them along. And then when they get so many, I don't know, I forget now how many, five or six. One day, when they meet, meet the next column, they stress them. 
And then George moves again. We move the trust. So you were moving the trust gantry. How often would you do that? How many weeks or months would it, that all take? Oh, that take it. That take a few days. You know, took a few days. Yeah. Oh yeah, a few days to to stress it up, get ready, and down go for the other one. And then launch the sections. Yeah. So this was the process that was going on from when you arrived on the job. How long after you arrived on the job did the bridge collapse? How many segments had been put on the oh, western we were, side? We were well up to the column where the state where it fell. We were well up. We were across um, High Street. We still had a... I've got a photograph there of it. You had actually got up to the main column on the western side. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we had to get the limer down with Jack McKenney. He said we're sending down to... Now, a limer, for those who don't know, is a pin jib crane. Yeah. On track. On tracks. And uh, we had to put up two big pipes against the column. We... Don't know why we had to do that. Whether make it safe. So effectively, it was a brace. Yeah, I'll show you on the. Yeah. So they were braced on the outer side. It was on a high street, just yeah. over the memorial. Yeah, yeah. And then we start stripping the truss because we the truss was too long to get the next segments of concrete onto the column. That was the last column. That was the column where the breach came down. So with the, the process, and you're basically moving and, and uh, adjusting the truss gantry, there was an incident there where uh, you were uh, somewhat uh, hesitant about uh, what was happening above you, and you looked up and... Uh, it was one of the days where the columns were being moved for the truss, oh. the gantry, and they came oh, down they, on oh, Pat they, Preston's crane. Oh, yeah. They were down at the, at the abutment, spots with near the railway lines. So that's a lot earlier than what yeah. we were just talking about yeah. before. I'm with you. When we put them two, uh, two, col- uh, two steel columns up to strengthen it, you know, where we were lifting the four segments. But then when the segments were all up, he had to take them down. So two blokes went up into the, into the concrete segments to let go of the bolts. But he had a walkie-talkie with them. Now, I was to climb up on a ladder, and you know what it's like, to put a ladder against a, a round thing. Yeah. So I said to Pat Preston, Pat, will you do me a favour? Will you jump off area crane? It was only a cramble. You know, yeah. open, crumble, you know, and hold the ladder. So that's all right. Pat jumps out, holds the ladder. And next, before we could put the shackle on, the sling, I says, what's going on? It's tight going. And Pat, Pat said, here's the wind. Jump. Jesus, I run through the... I had must have jumped, jumped about 30 foot. They let the bolts go. Before the weight was before. Taken. Before I even put the slings on. And the engineer, um, the foreman was down on the ground, and he's the one that had the walkie-talkie, not us. Yeah. 
Because I was to say, everything is right. I brought the two shackles on and the slings. All we have to do is just take the weight. That's just a little bit of weight, that's all. And tell them to let the bolts go. But they let the bolts go while I was up there. The, the steel fell right on Pat's seat of his crane. On the cranville. On the cranville. Turned over the, the crane, Clark's crane. So that would have been a, what, a 25 tonner or something? Uh, yeah. That went over on its side? Yeah. Everything was damaged, I'm sure. The cranville was destroyed. How, it's just as well I asked Pat to get off. Well, the thing is that both of you came that close, but you survived it. Yeah. With him. And this is what I didn't really talk to Pat about, is how many incidents like that affected you or people you were working with? Were they common in sort of incidents or were they occasional? Well, yeah, I, I think there was only Pat and I there. Right? Pat was in the crane and I was there to put the, the shackles on and the sling. But in terms of close calls, how many close calls did you have before the collapse? Oh, before the collapse. Mm. I think I might have had a few. Yeah. You know? They weren't happening every day, but they were yeah. happening often enough to be indicative of a problem. Well, it was the one, one when we were moving the thrust. The bloke that was watching it down below, he was an engineer, and he had a walkie-talkie, and he was supposed to have the, the triodal light on it to make sure it's not pushing the column underneath. It's just pushing the segment. All of a sudden, I said, what's going on? The column is moving, but this is not. So we just screamed down to him to stop. So there's clearly, this is what I'm getting to, Pat, clearly there are some supervisionary problems, yeah. organisational problems, from the very early part of the job. Yeah. So it was a bit rough and ready. Yeah. Now, compared to some of the jobs you'd done in England and that, how did it compare, do you think? Was it up to the... St well, was it a lesser standard or was it about the same standard? Well, the thing was, it, it wasn't as big as that, you know? Yeah. Because you're only putting up portable frames and one or two towers I put up. I put a, a tower up in Bristol for Condors of Winchester. That was all tubular and we'd no crane. We had to do that in stick work. You know? So in terms of your experience, you were experienced, you'd done a lot of steel erection, yeah. but not the size and uh, weight and complexity of the job that you were doing on Westgate. So everyone was in a somewhat difficult situation, and, yeah. very, and I would have thought, you correct me if I'm wrong, very dependent on the engineers and the foreman knowing what the hell was going on. Yeah. It doesn't sound like they knew too much. <laughs> Sorry, we're jumping around a little bit, but let's get now to the day of the collapse where the sections are all over Hyde Street. We're making adjustments to the, um, to the precast launching system and what happened then? When it collapsed. In terms of, of you and your experience, as I understand it, you were actually up on top. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your good mate Pat Preston was with his little Cranville down the bottom. Uh, new Cranville, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and 
was coming up to lunchtime. What was the process that you were involved in that day? Well, that day I was inside the boxes. I was getting all the stressing wires ready right. to be pulled. George Brain was, he was operating the winch on top. And Frank Draper come in, inside and he says, Paddy, I want you to go on top, take over the winch, because I want George to go back on the plunger, because we're going to start stripping it. That's the plunger that pushed the concrete segments. So I went on top. I start to pull the, the cables. But when I pulled the cables, the wire broke. So I said, it'd take me 10 minutes to splice it because it's only a small cable. So this time, Peter McQuire walked over to me, you know. Peter was a great great mate of of yours and uh, also a fellow fellow Dubliner. Yeah. I worked with his brother too at the steel game too. And... uh, we walked over and he said to me, oh, I heard you have a new car. And I said, well, it's not a new car, it's an old car. And there is down there. So we start talking. He says, oh, the next time, next thing you'll buy is a house. So we left and we walked over. And wasn't there something else he said? You'll never see Dublin. <laughs> so we walked over to the, we walked over towards the, um, before the lift. And Ian Miller was standing there, and so Peter went by, and he went up towards the centre of the bridge. Then another chap came over, and he says, Paddy, where's Peter gone? Johnny Little, you know? And I said, Johnny's just gone up there after Peter. But Ian Miller stopped me. Now, Ian Miller said to me, he says, how are you settling down in Australia? How's the family? Now, he, he was that type of man. He wants to know everything. You know, he's a good bloke. And he said to me, he said, oh, you can get on the lift before us. Then Eddie Halsell come over and he rushed over and he, he screamed at Barney, Barney Butters. Barney was letting go of the boats on the bridge. And Eddie got into the lift and then Rust, said something to me and I stopped. You know, Ross, Ross. Ross, Ross, in fact, was a young apprentice carpenter yeah. who used and to drive you home. home. Yes. And I got into, you no, know, Billy Long pulled down the door. Yeah. It was a very heavy lift, one of the old English ones, you know. Yeah. And uh, Tony Dominovich, he opened the lift door and pulled me in. And we got on the lift and we came down. And just as we came down, we walked out outside, and I looked, I heard the noise, and I looked back at them. He had their arms around me, you know. He said, Pat, you're always joking. And I looked again, and I said, this bridge is on its way down. And the bridge fell just about 10 or 15 feet from us, and Ian Miller, Ian Miller fell between me and Pat Preston. And Pat Preston took off his donkey jacket, Tasmanian donkey jacket, and thrown it over him. I was trying to get out there. So this is at ground level? This is ground. I was trying to get out the ground, uh, at the Ross. He was in the mud. And I couldn't lift the, I couldn't lift the timber. It was so heavy. 
But I got it up and we got it out. I think Pat gave me a hand to get it out. And who's behind me? The priest and the doctor. And I said, where do yous come from? Because there was no one around. Everyone was, well, and the only one who was up on top that was dead. There was a few alive. Because um, one or two were screaming, you know. And um, and Pat and I, what what do we do? Where do we go? So I left Pat and I went up on top, give a hand up on top. But on the other side, there was other lads, Villa's Labourers. That was where Holland's. On the east side. Yeah. They were trying to dig holes because they could see legs, you know. They came across on the boat? No, no, they were walking... On the on, ground. So they were working yeah. on the west side with yeah. the blokes here, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, then all of a sudden the boat come across, small boat, yeah, yeah. and a few people on it, you know, and they got up to give a hand. And Tony McGregor said to me, you better go home because your wife is pregnant. She'll know what, you know. But yeah. I didn't go home. I went down and she was at the, in between the crowd, you know. And I walked so for so many hours, and Jack Ross came down from the pub, and he came looking for me, you know, and he says, "Come on up," and it came on the on the radio, you know, some people come back, and I went back, and I was the back there with Ray Limtom, he was born in there over the the fourth side room, and I said, "Ray, you'll be born," and he says, "You won't feel the paddy." So we had people, we had bodies everywhere, we had all sorts of uh, materials everywhere. There was dust, there was smoke, there was a fire. Yeah. There was a lot. All the, all the bottles went on fire. Yeah, so all the gas all bottles. All the gas bottles yeah. went on fire. Yeah. So now, th- there would have been, you correct me if I'm wrong, mass confusion at this stage. Oh, yeah. Now, just before it fell... Passed the Peggy, he come up the lift and he passed me and I said to him, "Give us a chip." Was that coming back to the fish shop? And he says, "Come over to the shed, and I'll give you some." You know, well, if I went over to the shed, because when we opened the door, he was putting the 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 food in the pie warmers, pie yeah. warmers, and when it, it came down, it got him. He was still standing. Yeah, but he was he was trapped. He was in the shed. The shed was wrecked. It was next shed to um, the engineer that lasted so many years. You know, he kept him alive. I can't, I can't think of his name now. Bill Stacey, I think. So at this stage, to summarise, the bridge has come down just before lunchtime. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's 11.50. Well, I've I seen, I looked at the clock. Yeah. Twelve minutes was, yeah. Now, at this stage, after you've been asked with other people to go back to site, how much later in the afternoon was that? I don't know, time went so quick that time. The, the radio interviewed me. They come, they interviewed. That's when Gus Muir said he heard me voice on the, on the radio. He knew yeah. that I was alive. Yeah. And he rang me from Western Australia yeah. that night. So, really, you can't really summarise 
what happened to you in terms of time. It's just a whole series of yeah. episodes. Yeah. Some of which you remember, some of them you don't, or I can't remember. You know, there were so many talks, me paper talking. There was, and there was police, there was ambulances, there was everything going. All on. the best people were the first aid people. Yeah, uh, uh, the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army done everything. They, they set up a, a canteen. Yep. Coffee, tea, cigarettes, anything you want. This is while the process went on yeah. to try and rescue whoever could be rescued and to retrieve the bodies of those yeah. that they couldn't. Yeah, yeah. And then people, there was two old girls, women, used to come into the Vic hmm. every Thursday night and I used to take two boxes. You couldn't get enough in the boxes. Yeah. Now, you did say a little bit earlier that you looked up and there was a priest and a doctor. Did you ever work out how they got there? No. No, they only got there. So quick. Yeah. Unless they must have been driving by. Yeah. And so, the priest was there of our church. All right. So because so, the church is just over... Yeah, but the Elver church when we moved down... Francis to, Street, isn't it? No. When we moved down to Spotswood. Right. I, the church was around the corner. Ah, oh, right, I'm with yeah. you. So it was a Spotswood priest. Yeah. And the doctor, well, it's probably, the doctor probably wasn't that far away. No. In the shopping centre there. Yeah. Right, okay. Now, in terms of the people you were working with, the crew that were involved in the, the actual work that was taking place at the time of the collapse, how many of those people were killed? None. None? No. So it was other people working in the same... hang on. It was two. It was two. um, Ross and Italian Carpenter. Yeah. So they were working as part of your... that crew that you were working with. They were talking to email on the platform. Yeah, and Peter Maguire was up there as part of another crew, wasn't he? Yeah, he was with the metal threads. Right, Okay. And uh, a lot of the names you've mentioned so far, like Tony McGuigan and that, were metal trays as well. Yeah. yeah. So what time did you actually get home that day? Oh, we were in oh, no. One o'clock in the morning. One o'clock in the morning. Right. And she had the, the, lady, the girl next door. Actually, she was on the phone yesterday. Yeah. The girl next door took me clothes yeah. uh, and her husband. Yeah. And he had to burn her. Yeah, right. So you got home one o'clock. Eventually you got to sleep. No. You didn't get to sleep. No. no. So what did you do? Oh, I think I sat there. Sat there? Talking to Eva. Now, next day, well, already at one o'clock in the morning, you're in next day, but... So when, if at all, did you go back to the job? Next day. You went back next day. What time did you get there? Early. Very early. So with the next day, you get there, what do you see? What do you experience? And how did you feel? I mean, the confusion would still have been there. There still would have been people trying to dig people out. Oh, yes, there were people there. Because what happened when, when it fell... It went like that. 
So it gave way in the middle. Yeah. Well, I saw. And you had all the, the heavyweights, the bowls, big bowls, loads of bowls, weight, hmm. and they all came together. Yeah. You had the crane. The crane just swung around and that done all the damage. Yeah. That's so, done all the damage. So that was the... Anyone uh, that was walking in front of that, yeah. just got it. Yeah. yeah. Now that was the uh, Derek Crane. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the operator of that... The operator of that crane was two inches. So it was, that was to bring up the, the segments. Yeah. So did he perish? No... Anyone could do it. No, no, but did he die? No, no, there was, there was, that crane wasn't working that day. All right. But that's the type of crane was. Yeah, yeah, right. There was no cabin. There was no engines. It was just winches by hand. So that crane wasn't in operation. No. Right. Now, in terms of what was happening at ground level, were they still trying to get bodies out of the mud and that, or...? Well, the, the, the what you call it come in, the toys. It didn't come in before for years, right? And the toys come in. Now, most of them that got killed were inside the boxes. Yeah. Barney Butters. Now, I don't know the rest of the others, but I knew Barney was in there because Desi Duffy, or Desi Gibson, he was his DA. And when, when it fell, Barney was on top. And he fell in, right? Desi must have fell in too, but Desi got out, climbed a bit of scaffold that was inside, and he got out because his face was in an awful state with soot, black. So we got him out. So he was he he went down in one of the segments. He went down with the bridge. Yeah. So in the segments. Yeah. Oh, he was all right, yeah. Desi, until a year after. He was living in the high-rise flats in Kensington. Yeah. And he was afraid to go up in the lift. And I'd have to go over and go up with him in the lift. Yeah. And then come down to me own. But Desi died. He died of a heart attack a year after. So how many survived the actual fall, do you know? Or? I don't know. I don't there know. was more than one. Oh, yes. There was quite a few. Um, Brian Fullerton. He he was bad. He was near where the the bottles, the oxy bottles was, because he got burned on his face, and when they operated on him, they put a plate in, and something happened, but that made him go mad. But his mother had to come over from New Zealand and brought him back to New Zealand. But then I was told by one of his mates in Williamstown that he died. Now. How many days did you go back to the site? I went back. I went back. That was me back till I took down the truss. Right. So you kept going back to work. The yes. job had stopped except it's, for the rescue work and the making safe or? No. Well, we were still working. We were still on the truss taking it down. Right. The truss was going over Hyde Street. Yeah. And we were taking it down. Then we do all that stuff to do inside the segments. Yeah, so you stressed the segments. Yeah, they wanted me to go north. But before, before we leave this subject, with 
the work that you had to do, that was primarily to make that part of the job safe. Yeah. So get the, the trust down, get the uh, segments stressed so yeah. that they can stay there. Yeah. And what happened then? They just said goodbye. Yeah. Well, they wanted me to walk north, and I said no. I said, that's why I come to Australia, so I could be at home with the family. Yeah. Because all I did was travelling in England. So how many days or weeks after the collapse did they put you off? I was there for a, what, a month. Three months. Three months I was there. Three months. The last. Yeah, I was the last one there. Right. Now, everyone else was put off? Yeah. Oh, some of them, them travelled with them. Yeah, but in terms of the job, the job was stopped. Yeah. So even the people who were working in the uh, east side doing the precast, they were all put off as well? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think they were still working for something. I think they would have, you know. But in terms of east side, west side, <laughs> both were stopped. Yeah. Now, in terms of keeping busy, I suppose you kept busy. Yeah. But you would have been going through a fair bit of turmoil psychologically at that time yeah. because there would have been a lot of funerals, a lot of people who was needing yeah. to talk to each other and that. How did you cope with all that? Oh, I was terrible. Some days there was two funerals. Yeah, some days there was two funerals, three yeah, funerals. The last one was Big John. But that all went on for weeks, weeks. after. Yeah. And then you go out and everyone be talking to you. And to remind you about it, you yeah. know. When you got to the point where you were put off, did you think, what the hell? Did you feel that you had been left high and dry? Or did you just think about getting another job? No, well, I didn't because they had nothing in, in Melbourne, hmm. Holland, but they had plenty of work elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say they were doing an awful lot of jetties, you know, up. You were, but you had Eva and the kids and yeah. you had to stay home. So, so what did you do next? Um, Good Smear, I think, bring me. Yeah, Good Smear. You were on the first day, somebody fell and died. Yeah. Yep, so Gus got you onto the border works. Got me onto the border works, yeah. What did you do in the border works? Well, putting up three and bus, he, he gave me the easy job, so... <laughs> First day. Yeah, hang on. Oh, no, so yeah. the thing is, you're putting up the uh, cladding on the border works, which is all bluestone. Yeah. Are you going to take responsibility for the fact it wouldn't stay up there? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's right. No. That's, that's the correct answer, Patrick. No. Now, in terms of the job, we did have a little chat earlier about the border works. What I found extraordinary was that they used hardwood as the packers. Yeah. And, like, it's stone, yes, but it w even stone sealed between the sections would still be porous to some extent. Is that what you think is the reason why the uh, sections started coming oh, out? Eh? I don't know. But there seemed to be the problem, you said to me there were problems with the wooden... Packers yeah. being deformed uh, with the wet and dry, and they were coming loose. Yeah, 
Righto. So the spaces were a problem, weren't they? Yeah. They were coming out. Yeah. That was what was coming down. The, the stonework didn't come down as such. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. You know? But something was coming into the, into the street. No, I don't... What's coming into the street? The stu- because it was a long way from the street. Was it? Right. Yeah. On. And they had uh, coverways and all the rest yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. So it was just unstable. Yeah. Right. Because there's lots of stories going on about the old Border Works building, but <laughs> it went on and on and on because all that work had to be uh, remediated. Yeah. Were you there for the remediation as well? No, no. You got out? Yeah. Well, I don't know who the subby was. You know, the subbies that done it. So we've now got two jobs where keeping the thing together is a problem. Yeah. Now, wooden packers is, is one thing, but back going back to the bridge, surely this thing was getting bolted up and, and stressed as it was pushed out over Hyde Street and that. Yeah. So what was happening with the bolts? Well, Barney was taking the bolts out. Barney was taking the bolts out, and Desi said to, or, um, said to him, what are you taking the bolts out for? And he says, fuck off. He says, you're only a labourer. I'm a metrate. I'm a boiler mate. But have you taken out the bolts? Now, they were all fitted bolts. So you take out one, the weight goes on the next one. And you know, we'll slice them. So these the permanent bolts between the segments? Yeah. They were the permanent bolts? Yeah. They were holding the plate. So the plates are between the segments? Yeah. And holding the two segments together? Yeah. They're, they're concrete? Yeah. Now, again, the engineers directed this work or...? Oh, well, that was the metal trade, so I suppose I reckon the engineers. Yeah. You know, they were trying to get out there. There was a big bulge. All oh, right. See? So it wasn't... The stress. Fit. They were trying to get out the stress. Right, so they weren't fitting together properly. Yeah. The day before we were up there, well, me and the chap went up there to get something. I don't know where a pack come up with and took a photograph, but we were looking at the bolts the way it was going like that, you know? And they were try- when they were bringing the whole big segment over, I mean to say, they were all jacked up in one length. Yeah. They didn't come there up in pieces the way ours did. They were built from one end to the other. You know, the column there and the column there. And outside, they were built and were put on, on the two trusses. And they were jacked up and then rolled over onto the columns. That's an awful length for steel, isn't it? So, in terms of the precast concrete, those sections that were getting put in on the bridge, west side, and presumably also on the east side, same design, they were lined up in smaller sections, bolted, stressed, and they kept going out. So they were putting the steel section, they were putting up in much bigger segments. Yeah. So... if I show you, if I show you photographs, yeah. then you can see it better. Right. Okay. But this is for people who are listening. So yeah. basically, there's one system for the precast concrete, another system for the steel sections. Yeah. And the steel sections 
had developed a problem that they weren't sitting face to face properly. They, yeah. they they were obviously out of alignment. Yeah. When when did Which stop? Is, when yeah. did stop? Then? You got the two of them to sections together. Now when you got them together, the diaphragms they wouldn't match up. They were out of alignment. So what do you do? You can't pull it that way, or you can't pull it that way. So hence they were taking the tension off to try and adjust them. Yeah. Right. And maybe they did a bit more than they should have. Yeah. Now, we've gone around the world and we've come back to the border works. So clearly yeah. there's another engineering problem with what happened to the facade of that building. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the structure was up, the structure was fine. There was never an issue with the structure. There was a problem with how the facade was bolted onto the, uh, the superstructure. Again, was there discussion, was there supervision, was there review oh. by engineers and so on that you were aware of? No, no. No, well, we had nothing to do with that. No, but you, yeah. you were, you're part of a process. Yeah. You're putting it there. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be quite the uh, attention to detail. Yeah. See, we, not, we weren't doing them. We weren't putting the slabs on. That was another company. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. in terms of all the work that was yeah. going on... We just put the steel around it, you know. Yeah. Everything is interrelated. That's the problem. Yeah. But... We'll finish up with the border works, but where'd you go next? Uh, back on the bridge. You went back on the bridge. Yeah. Right. So when was this? Uh, about two years. Yeah. Right. But they called me back. They sent me a telegram, and I came back, and I was the only one back. So it was me on my own and Ray Lintham. Well, Ray Lintham, he was the metal trade. Yeah. But he was doing work over the our side, right? Yeah, on the west side. So I said, uh, what am I going to do here? There's a message said, Paddy, you just stay here. You'll be getting paid your wages. Don't worry about it. Well, I was there for about a week, two weeks. And uh, I think Jock McKeown come down. And uh, I paid me a union, you know. And he said, Normie and, Normie and Paddy Malone and Paddy Malone. Normie Gallagher, Normie Wallace. Normie Wallace would be there, yeah, yeah. yeah. Paddy Malone. Uh, they, the they were there, and uh, they were looking for me because they knew I was on the job, and they got me and they brought Let's me down dry. to the column. You know that was knocked over from the knocked over from the the collapse. Yeah. And he said to me, he said, "Don't worry about this, Paddy." Well, I didn't know anything about it. He said, uh, "You'll you'll be on this job forever till the end." So I said to Ray Lindham after, you know, I wonder, I wonder why did he say that to me? He says, Paddy, they don't want the builders' labourers back on the job. <laughs> and Gallagher said to me, he says, you know, he says, Paddy, this bridge has got to be built and they've got to build that column. And he says, if they stop youth from working here, any builders' labour, he says, they'll never they'll have to go right around the column. That was fixed up. So there was, of course, a bit of history to uh, the claims for coverage on the bridge, the iron workers uh, versus the builders' labourers yeah. for, for steel. <coughs> and, but the concrete was done by builders' labourers. That's right. And that was the, 
That was the card that beat every other card in the pack. And it was the builder's labourers that fixed up the trouble. They put up the steel, fell, and no trouble. Yeah. Now, in terms of what you ended up doing on the bridge, what, what became your responsibility? I was a leading hand. But when I got a, a reference, I got a reference off Holland's. Not off Holland's, but off Dormer Long's. Because Huey said to me, he says, Paddy, if you ever come back home, there's a job there for you. And I'm going to write you a reference, I have it there. And on the reference said I was a charge hand. And I knew my wages was a lot bigger. But I didn't know what it was. I thought it was bonus. But never mind that. Now, when it comes to the work that you were doing, you were now working on the steel yeah. sections. So the segments yeah. that are actually between the two big columns, yeah. east and west, it's all steel. Yeah. They're all steel segments, yeah. whereas the uh, first part of the job it's is actually concrete. Co- reinforced concrete segments. The reinforced concrete segments were manufactured in Fisherman's Bend, yeah. effectively on site. And, and, and the words cantilevers. Yeah. They were all fishermen's bag. They were brought around by Clark's cranes. Yeah. But in terms of the steel sections, where were they actually manufactured? The steel? Yeah. They were manufactured on the other side. So on the west side? Yeah, in the, in the big, uh, in the factory. Right. So there was a, a fabrication shop yeah. in Spotswood, basically. Yeah. And they were brought over. They were brought over by the barge. Yeah. I unloaded the barge. Right, so you were working directly under the stiff leg. Yeah. So the stiff legs on both sides. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is you cantilevered them out to yeah. meet in the middle. Yeah. Now, the first one to go up, I have the photograph there. The first one to go up, they had a ready on the other side. It was on the barge and I was to go over the next day, to uh, pick it up and bring it to the centre where the crane lets the, jib, lets the hook down and I do the slinging. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there the next day. I had to go to Adelaide because my son was in trouble in Adelaide. And my wife and I, we went over to Adelaide and uh, when we come back, well, I went into work the next day thinking that it'd be up. But John the Williams, the engineer, and Huey, Huey, the foreman, they said, no, we won't lift this. It's getting a bit nifty, and Paddy is not here. Right, because he's done all the lifting for everything. So that day when I got back, I went into work, and it was all the other slings and all on it. So I had my walkie-talkie, I had Jimmy McVeigh, and I had uh, Paddy... Paddy Mooney, um, or Rudy, whatever it's called, and uh, we started to get it all ready. So they had, on them, there's three slings. There's one in the centre, not in the centre of the, the box, but the, in the outside. Yes, on the perimeter. And there's two here. Yep. Right? So I said to Jack, send down the, the, the hook, the big hook, the centre down, and I hung the slings on. When I hung the slings on, I told Jack, I just, don't pinch it, Jack, just take the weight mm-hmm. of the slings, that's all, nothing else. Mm-hmm. 
because once you take the weight, the barge goes that way and you're gone that way, you know? So, Because the barge is on water. That's right. It just takes off. There's wind, there's tide, yeah. there's everything happening. So I said, Jack, just lower it down a bit. He says, what's wrong? Well, I said, you've just taken the weight. And the outside sling has about two foot of slack. I think the wrong sling is on. So he says, all right. He says, I'll lower it down. And what you can do for me, I'll get one of the lads to bring down a, a, a what you call a gun for doing the nipples, you know? Yeah, yeah. Grace gun. Yeah. And uh, you can give her a bit of, bit of a clean, Paddy. So I got it lowered down, it just stands there, and I just climbed up on it. And I says to Jimmy McFay, Jimmy, give us a cloth. And I start cleaning it. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, I got the phone again. Bang, on to Jack. I says, there's a, a watch collar. I didn't roll a crack. I didn't let anyone know. I said, there's a hairpin. You know, that's what we always say. There's a hairpin in the sheath. He says, what? He says, ah, that might be only dirt. Give it a good cleaning. So I gave it a good cleaning. So he said to me, go through all the others, will you? Mm. All the others was. So I said, I'll take, I'll take it off and just leave it there and bring up, your, bring up the hook. And he brought it right up. So he just rang. They were all worrying up there. Oh, you want to see the crowd? I, was, I got the photograph to see, show you. All the crowd. Yeah, well, this was the final section being yeah. lifted in. And uh, I said to, said to the two boys, oh, no, it's getting too windy, you know. And I said, not only that, I said, we'd never get it up in time. There's a big ship coming in. Yeah. That was miles away. But. Yeah. So when I went up to see Jack, he says, Paddy, climb up, climb up inside the tower. The yeah. tower was big. I'll explain to you. And have loads of sheaves, two or three done, right back to the right back to the, um, where the winch wire goes on. It's about five or six, bro. Now, Jack said, Paddy, only for you seeing it, if I'd have got that up, it mightn't have broke break until I was halfway up. Yeah. But this is the jackknife so much. All these people in the front of these looking at you because they were all looking over the side yeah. waiting for it to come up. They'd have been all killed because it went like that. They'd have been all thrown into the sea. Because once it went, then everything would have, as a reaction, would have bounced the other way. Yeah. And just kept bouncing. Yeah. So what was the problem with the equipment? Just so the people listening can understand simple terms. All the sheaves were cracked. All the sheaves were cracked. Yeah. And the sheaves on the, on the block, yep. the lifting block, were cracked. And the, the wrong slings on, that's how it saved us. So... Someone put the wrong slings on. No, only one. Only one. Only one. Yeah. The middle one on there the corner. There was perimeter. two here. Yeah. They're the same. Yeah. Right? So on the corners. Yeah. That should have took the same weight. Yeah. So your eagle eye has picked up, for, not for the first time I might note, your eagle eye has picked up there's a problem and when it's examined, in fact, there was a major problem with yeah. the rest of the equipment. The sling yeah. was the wrong size. Okay, you yeah. replace it with another sling. Yeah. But, having but it was all, they were all numbered. Yes. You should have. The ones that put it on. Right. <laughs> we won't go into uh, personal responsibilities yeah. because it's a bit late in the piece to try and make judgments about all that. But in terms of the sheaves and so on, is that simply a case of fatigue? 
and a failure to examine them on a regular basis. Yeah. With a lift like that, you've got to you've got to stand there and think about it. It's not like just throwing a sling around an angle or a truss or a, yeah. a beam. But this is a big thing. So the sheave blocks were all of them fractured, or I don't know. I I don't know because I went. I went. There was enough there with to do damage. fractures. If they went, they were good damage. Because if them if them sheaves that went in a block, well, what you call it, the wire is hanging on to. It's like a it's like a a razor, yeah. So the big lift was called off for the day. Three months, I think. <laughs> well, we won't uh, attribute uh, too much drama to this, but uh, I would have said that uh, there was a few problems with the uh, state government's PR program at that stage because wasn't Prince Charles supposed to be uh, coming to open the bridge or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's another little story all on its own. But some time later, thanks to your efforts, the final section was lifted into place safely. Yeah. And what was your role that day? Well, I slung it. You slung it? Sent it up. Sent it up. And Jack, I said to Jack, when you go up so high, Jack, stop. And I went up the lift. Jimmy McPhee was waiting for me. Because what I did is went up the lift, onto the, onto the bridge, yes, onto. went down the manhole, and everyone is looking for me. I walked, because you can go right through the bridge, you know. Yes, I've and I've done I walked it. through. an interesting experience. Onto the gantry, yep. under the bridge, and Jimmy McPhee is waiting for me with Paddy Holden. And you hopped so, on the section. So he, <laughs> he lifted the bridge up and pushed me on. So I'm in the centre of the bridge and all I could hear was Martin Bingham's voice. Paddy, run to the other side. <laughs> so you were on the section as it was finally lifted into place. Yeah, but I said that well before. I said, I'll, for my mates that got killed, I'll be the first across. Well, in fact, you stepped from that segment as it was brought into alignment with the uh, existing seg- adjacent segment. And you stepped across onto the permanent structure. No, I just tipped it. Oh. And then let the rest come on. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. And then a few said, oh, we've been over there on the crane. Yeah. But you <laughs> actually crossed over. Yep. Righto. So you're the first man technically to cross the bridge. Yeah. And uh, you carried out your promise. Yeah. Because really, while you wouldn't call it a highlight of your life, it is probably one of the most uh, significant things that's happened in your life, and you, well, when I do reflect back on it. Well, when I go there every every year, I've been there. I've never missed a day. There was a few was there, there was loads there when it started, and then it died, and and then it, I have a photograph there. There's only four of us, right, and three women, right, and then women came every year, and they still come every year. They are, they are family. And Mrs. Little, she come, you know. So in terms of your history with the bridge, while you would regret everything that happened with the collapse and so on, yeah. 
it would still, in your mind, be, other than having a great family, the most significant thing that happened in your life to date. Yeah, yeah. Does, does that help you with the bad memories? Does that sort of, I don't never equal it, but does it sort of help with the bad memories? Well, what I like, what I think about it now, when I, when I, I, when I go back on the 15, there's not many there, a few is gone, you know. But uh, when I see some of them, uh, Tony Dominovich, you know, he be there, Pat, um, a few others, Bob's, Big Bob Sinka. Yeah, someone who, who uh, rode the, the bridge down and survived. Yeah, yeah. When I see Bob, yeah. and Bob is a fair age now, and I hope he lives for another 20 years. Now, in terms of the rest of your work and life, because when the bridge was finished, the last segment was put in place, the bulk of your work was done. You yeah. probably didn't finish up straight away, but the bulk of work... What did you think about as the bridge finished? What the hell do I do now? Or where do I get a job? Or what was your, what was your thinking at that point? Oh, uh, no. Well, work was standard, plentiful, you know. Yeah. You could always get a job, yeah. you know. Well, therefore, what, what was your next job after the bridge? Well, the next job after the bridge, I was, David and I were down in uh, Geelong, outside yeah. Geelong. Yeah. And we went, went down to see a job, but we didn't get it. On the way back, I seen Hollands, and they were doing the animal centre. Oh, the, right, right, the the research thing down at um, Cryo Bay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then CSIRO. I went... CSIRO. CSIRO. Yeah, that's it. Then yes. I went in, and everyone, all, all the engineers, and all... So, Costains were there. I don't even remember Costains. Oh. How could you forget Costains? <laughs> they came over here and uh, yeah. they were going to do whatever they wanted to get rid of the BLs, etc., etc. And the BLs <laughs> kept going and yeah. they went back to England. So Costains was was there. And what happened? They were after doing a, a, um, this big power, you know, and the thing underneath, what they had underneath to hold her up collapsed. Oh, yeah, the false work, yeah. The false work. Yeah. So one of the blokes, he finished off working with the, the scaffolding people, you know. He knew me, but I didn't know him much, you know. And he says, Paddy, they're looking for someone to do to clean this out. And I says, oh, this is the day, but what do you think? So he brought me into the office and uh, he says, you can go subbing. I just said, that's all right. But I've done a bit. And then all of a sudden, some of the engineers, that's where Hollands, see me, and they were ready to do a lot of scaffolding. So what did they do with me? They make me over the sky. So I said, David, where am I going to get the men? And they were having trouble with the union. Jesus, I got all the men. And who were they all? They were all from Melbourne, all in the union. The rat. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Powell. The yeah. rat. They had Ted Moles. Yeah, Teddy. Eddie, uh, Pat, uh, they were all Cyclones, man. I remember Cyclones got yes. taken over. Yes. All them. And what's his name with the walking stick? 
he fell down the he fell fell in the union, the skylight. Yeah. What? Yeah, Johnny. Johnny, Johnny McEwen. Johnny McEwen. Skylight. And Johnny's hand went up. Skylight McEwen. I says, Johnny, Jesus, Mary, I'm only just starting here. Yeah, yeah, we go home. Fuck me. Go home. You've, you haven't done you haven't done one hour's work. Yeah. You've just started. So everything all right. So I had well, all the boys from the union yeah. walking down there, scaffolding. And what name or what business name were you using at that stage? P and H. P and H. Right oh. <laughs> Meant to be P and E, but Yeah, P and H. Oh jeez. And then I had most of them, a lot of boys live up here. This the scaffolders live up here. Yeah, we're talking about Belan here. Yeah. A lot of scaffolders hit out up here. Some of them were only kids when I had the job in yep. PRA. Yep. And look at them now all grown up and Families. Well, yeah, the Stones and what's George Patterson? George Patterson, Ian yeah. Patterson. Yep. And you had uh, um, Buffett and, and his brother Terry. Yes. There's a fair few uh, regular names there. What was Mick's name? And um, when you. Uh, when you uh, started out. As a scaffolder, yeah, or scaffold contract scaffolder, did you go and see Normie Wallace to? Uh... Yeah, well, I had, I had Normie's son. I got, I got Normie's son. I gave him a job in in uh, Geelong. Now, someone, someone sent in a letter to the union to say, "Paddy, you're starting all the organisers' sons, and we can't get a job in Geelong." Well, I found out who that was after. He never got a job. Now, there's a fair bit of tenderness on the subject of uh, local that, work in I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who was supposed to be with him that day when he got the job. Travers. Mark. Yeah, Mark Travers. He yeah. was a, he, he, he was a maid of yep. a young chap. Well, I'm sure you did have some Geelong people on your books for the work I did, there. yeah. And if, if I remember correctly, a fair a few of them came up to PRA and a few other jobs like that. Yeah, a few of them did. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, at that time, uh, which would have been late 80s and early 90s, yeah. that whole period there when there was a boom and suddenly the boom stopped and yeah. there was no work to be had by anyone for, didn't matter what skill base you had, yeah. everyone was out of work. And uh, I'll stand correction, but... Uh, you employ the bloke called Dave Pillar. That's right, Davey. Dave Pillar, ex, but, ex BLF organizer. Yeah, and uh, and no legs. And no legs, yes. And what you photographed there is a fat fella. It was a Peggy. Oh. But they put. I had a I had a small little bike to to ride around them. Yes. And they grabbed a hold of me bike and put it up in one of the towers. Yes, you were notorious for your bike because. <laughs> One of the people that your recruiting agent, Dave Pillar, uh, rang up was yours truly. And uh, you're out of work, yes, I was definitely out of work. And it was a tough old time and uh, Dave Pillar said, uh, I think Paddy can look after you by giving you a bit of a job out here on the shutdown. And there was a whole lot of us who ended up on that shutdown and I've got to say this, and I hope it sounds sincere, it was the best thing that could have happened to me at that time. We, we were 
stone cold out of luck and uh, I think I was blacklisted by everybody, including the BWIU. Um, it was a bad time, but you kept me and the family going through a very difficult period. And uh, I tell you what, it was a different type of world in, that, in those refineries yeah. compared to building sites. I didn't know where you were working. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we always did work for you, don't worry. Yeah. We always put in our best. But then uh, you got pushed out of PRA. Yeah. Transfield yeah. came in and... Uh, Transfield took over. Took over everything. Yeah. And all the subbies that had been there doing shutdowns and that for a long time uh, just got yeah. booted. Well, the CBI, they yeah. thought they were going to get the contract. Yeah. And they said to me, start getting a lot more scaffold, you know. But they got kicked out, you know. Yep. Well, I ended up working for Transfield. Got sacked three times by Transfield, yeah. uh, all in the space of three weeks. And uh, Funky, Funky <laughs> Farley and yeah. uh, Drew McDonald, um, Les Wiseman. Yeah. Uh, we all copped Les, in. Les was there too. Yeah, yes, he was. We yeah. were all there. And yeah. uh, anyway, we survived that experience. I, but I, I will I'll have wa- to show you the book with all the names. Yes, but I will ask you one question. Did Jimmy McAlpine ever get his boat back? Boat. I don't know. Did you as Robert? No. You you had us under the pier at uh, Point Jellybrand putting in a drop uh, scaffold, tube and fit. Yeah. And uh, let's just say that uh, someone lost his key and then borrowed my key and lost that into the water. We adjourned to the pub and when we came back, the boat had gone. And Jimmy wasn't happy. Yeah. <laughs> Did he ever get it back? I don't think so. <laughs> right on. I, yeah. I don't know. Where, I don't know where he got it from, but yeah. he, he gave us the boat and we rode in under the pier. But anyway, such is uh, life in contract scaffolding. Yeah. So after contract scaffolding became much more difficult to uh, survive in with Transfield and those people employing casuals, direct, and all the rest. What did you do? Well, I done nothing, and Eva was getting sick of me, and uh, I just I just can't imagine that either. Uh, I was <laughs> spending too much time not in the pub but in the TAB, and uh, I don't know whether it was David met Johnny Cummins, and uh, David must have said, "Johnny, you'll have to do something for Paddy." He says, "Why?" He said, "He's driving Eva up the wall." So I got a phone call and uh, a job on the City Link for Balderstones. For Balderstones, on the old elevated road. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> specifically, uh, you were at uh, Footscray Road, weren't That's you? That's right. And it was Literally. very handy to go off to North Melbourne to the TAB. And only what hundred meters, even less, from the uh, the dogs, the, no, the Footscray Market. That's right. Where you. Yeah. Erected all that steel all those years before. That's right. We used to go down there a lot to the, the, the what you call it, the market, uh, the fish market. Yeah, the fish market, because the flower market and the fruit and veg market. They're yeah, all there. Yeah. And uh, that, the trip down memory lane for you. It sure was. Yes. Yeah. How and long it, did you survive uh, with Balderstones? I was there, wasn't I, two years? Yeah. I was there for two years. And then... What you call it, Dave Young? He was the engineer on the Westgate, yeah. and he, he seen me, and he got me to his sheds. Yeah, 
Because he says, your legs look bad, Paddy, the way you're walking, you know. Yeah. And he says, you ju- just do these. These will be good for you, you know. So you stay down at uh, Footscray Road level. Yeah, you come off the dining road. Yeah, and the the other sheds were all up the top. Yeah. Yeah, that's been a lot of walking upstairs. But anyway, yeah. the body survived. And yeah. uh, did you work after... Boulderstone or? After stones, I gets another phone call yep. from uh, Terry McPhee. Yes. You know the McPhees, they're all yeah. playing the footy. Yeah, yeah. Lucky plays for the old mate there, look, McScaff. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, That's great. Um, he said, uh, there's a job for you in, um, in Laverton. Yep. You know, where no legs. Yes. And I went down. And uh, no legs brought me in, brought well, me to the that office. Was, so that was the power station. That was the power station and introduced me. And Andy was there yes. and Andy put his arms around me. <laughs> so um, I started there. Well, you kept going. What time, What age did you finally retire? I was, must be, I was near the 70, wasn't I? I was nearly 70 because what you call it, what you call it, when I was working there, there was a woman who used to work for MC yep. and bring around the clothes. Yep. Right? And she brought me around my clothes. And I don't know whether she must have told MC, he's only an old man. Yep. So I get the, the phone. The phone rings, no legs, and then no legs puts me on. Yep. He says, Paddy, how old are you? And I told him. He says, you're too old. I says, what do you mean, too old? I says, the work I'm doing here, anyone could do it, 100 years of old. Anyone 100 years would be ideal. And he started laughing. Now, in all the years that you've been in the industry, one of the things that I think your story has demonstrated, again, is people look after each other. Oh, yeah. You looked after a lot of people, me included, and I'm forever grateful. But people looked after you too. It was the normal thing you did. Yeah. And uh, people would hear about someone being out of work or down on their luck in some I'd way. make a collection. And have a collection. Yeah. That is really one of the strengths of the industry. Yeah. So what other things do you think uh, are good about the industry and – what are some of the things that maybe ain't so worthwhile or worth celebrating? Well, first of all, you hear a lot of these chaps hitting the 65 and 70 and getting no work. Yeah. And that's wrong. They should be looked after first. As long as they can walk and use their hands and use their feet, they should be allowed to walk. Because a lot of these people haven't got the money no. that was put in like long service and all like that. Well, superannuation. Superannuation. There was none going when we were working. Well, you had long finished from the bridge when superannuation was uh, finally brought in. Yeah. In about, what, 1983? That was 20 bucks a week, if I remember correctly. I had five kids. Yeah. So you didn't didn't retire as a multi-millionaire on your super? Oh, no. 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 And in fact, given gaps in employment, very difficult for anyone to retire now compared to someone in a permanent job for their whole life. Yeah. But anything else you think is 
worth talking about in terms of the industry and your time in it? The way we used to all get together, you know, the metal trades, the builders' labourers on the bridge, there was always a night out, big coaches to go up to Dandenongs, up to the, what's the name of the place, Eva? The Barrel of Beef. The Barrel of Beef, yeah. up in the Dandenongs. Yeah, yeah. And that was maybe once a, once a month. Yeah. It was beautiful, you know? It was yeah. a great social club. So, social club. Yeah, and the... In terms of those people that you worked on the bridge with, but in the industry generally, you still keep contact with a lot of people. I know. I, I do see a lot of people around here. Yeah. yeah. If I go, if I go, well, I don't go down to Williamstown anymore because traffic is too, yeah, too bad. But I go down to Becker's March and I do meet up one or two people that. Mm. Walked in town and retired. You can talk about it, you know. And you're on the phone to people? No. You and I have had a few chats on the phone. Oh, yeah. No, I but don't get much on the phone, you know. Because yeah. the old ears is bad, mm. you know. But what about Pat Preston and those blokes? Oh, yeah. You, I, uh, well, not Martin. I used to ring up Martin a lot, you know. Yeah. But... Um, Pat Preston will ring up now and again, you know, yeah. find out how things are going. Because Pat just lost his wife too. Yeah. You know. And he lived around the corner. He used to live around the corner. He Where Patrick lives now, you know, yeah. maybe so. So what are some of the, well, let's be blunt, some of the downsides to the industry, do you think, other than the ones you've already mentioned, uh, in terms of the health and safety, you know, how tr- people are treated and so on? Well, first of all, the, I think that some of them are treated bad. You know, mm. Peggy's are treated bad. They get them to do everything now. Mm. Before, you did them one thing. Clean the sheds or do the toilets. Now, they've got to do everything. And the stuff on goal. And usually be the first aider as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, in yeah. terms of health and safety, where do you think we are today, I mean, you've been out for a while, but you saw how things developed after the Westgate. Do you yeah. think that developments continued? Do you think uh, we're still moving forward or slowing down a bit? Uh, when I when I when I go down every Saturday morning to the TAB, there's a lot of chaps to be down there that are always complaining what some of them have to walk in the rain and you know, yeah, things like that. Well, I'll just make the observation that constant vigilance is the only thing that protects your your wages and conditions. Yeah. I think the industry is a lot better paid than a lot of other industries, but maybe it's not as safe, it's not as, well, it's not as much fun as it used to be no. in terms no. of the, you know, talking bullshit to each other and, and actually making the, making the job easier. Yeah. By, by having a cheerful outlook, a supportive attitude. Yeah. But didn't they take the rest of the man away to go on strike? I think it might have been Jeff Kennett. Mm. And he just should have all objected. And he just should have all gone on strike. Righto, now that's Eva who uh, said she wasn't going to talk to the microphone, but she did. She couldn't help herself. Yeah, because nobody has a right to, stop, to say you cannot go on strike. That's your right. Yep. And I never cross your picket. 
Yep. I'll tell you that, but there's plenty would. Yep. But the government should never have done that. And I think it was Jeff Kennedy, I'm not sure. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, uh, Howard government... Oh, him, I hated him. Made, ...made it difficult, and uh, just me, I don't think the, uh, the Labor governments led by Kevin and... Um, Julia actually helped, made it even more difficult, but... Now you understand, because Eva's joined the conversation at the end, said she wasn't going to do it, but I think you appreciate, as listeners, that you are actually talking to a great team. Eva and Patty have been together now for how many years? Oh, God. She went to school together. There you go. How old are you now, Patrick? I met him when I was 12. I'm, she's older than me. I, I told you. <laughs> 11 months. 11 months. That Seven. months when we're both the same age. 73. Right. So you've been together 73, 73 years. years? No, that's, that's, no, that's how old I am. That's your 73? Yeah. No, 83. Oh, 83. I would have thought. Oh, we knew one another when we were about 6 or 7. No, we are about 10. So you've been together. How many children have you had? Five. Five? We never called him Paddy. We only ever called him Hanno. When we were kids, he was just known as Hanno. Righto. Now, here we are. We're up in Belan. Nice rural retreat. Yeah, cold. Cold. Always raining. Across the road from the hospital. It's not all bad, but uh, do you miss being in the city? I don't, no. I would miss where it'd be south a bit, but not being in the city. Yeah. Like Spotswood, which we still own. But I never regretted that. The traffic down there terrifies me. And and you've got some... Uh, your daughter lives close by and the granddaughters? Yeah. Two of them. And my grandson. Well. Yeah, he's a carpenter. He's a carpenter, is he? Yeah. He's working in uh, Ballarat. Comes in here and I, did, I taught him well. He's always on the job. Never miss work. Right. An hour before. Because when I got him a job, I said to him, from now on, you start at seven, you're in a half six, you sit down and have your cup of coffee, right? Don't be like Kevin, rushing in the last minute, putting on his clothes, working clothes, right? The time he's supposed to start, you come in and he, he comes in here every now and again on a Saturday. So you've got... A, a third generation now the in the industry because Dave, Kevin, uh, Kevin Patrick, they've all worked in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin. Patrick is a carpenter. Yeah, self-employed yeah, so. carpenter. He's a self-employed carpenter. Well, I remember when he uh, finished his apprenticeship with uh, Joe. Joe. Joe, yes. After getting the boot from Grollo, but anyway. No, it was no. He was with Joe Forrest. Then he went with Brother. Was he? Yeah. Well, Frank Kemp. Anyway, he survived. Yeah. Anyway, this has been a really good chat. What I want to say is to both of you, thank you very much for today, for your hospitality. Eva's made me cups of tea and kept me going. She's made me a sandwich. And it has been a really great opportunity to catch up, but also to tell a story about people who have been part of this industry in Melbourne since the 1960s. And it's a great story as an industry. It's a great story as individuals. 
and I'm really pleased and I want to thank you very much for participating in this podcast. Eva, thank you. Patty, thank you very much. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allwithoutrcr.org.au we all of us are workers united, we must stand Until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains and break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builder's labour is a name to make a man proud.